Jesse live from the ESPN 690 and Ajara Levine Studios. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 with Brent Martineau and Austin Lane. Happy Monday. What can you do in 14 seconds? Dallas Cowboys can't get another playoff, I can tell you that. Mm-mm-mm. But they do have 14 penalties. And we have another coaching job open. And if we do, a coaching candidate will be off the list, right? Because it's going to be Moore or Quinn that would take the spot of McCarthy. They're laughing at the pickle. They know all about this. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, sometimes, like, for instance, a couple years ago, I went to go see Robert Plant at Okeechobee, the music festival. Now, Robert Plant being the former lead singer of Led Zeppelin, I expected Robert Plant to play all Robert Plant songs because he's got, like, ten new albums. It's always refreshing, though, when someone can play the greatest hits. And Robert Plant, needless to say, played some of the greatest hits from Led Zeppelin, and I respected him for that. It's always a pleasure when Mike McCarthy, with all these analytics now and all this new school terminology, new coaching, can still find a way to play the greatest hits, as in messing up in terms of what offensive player calls to call, uh, in terms of 14 penalties, way too many penalties. So it was great that Mike McCarthy, the guy that I grew up on, the guy that Packer fans know so well, was able to come out in his first Dallas playoff game and play the greatest hits. Yeah, and they uh, sure did. And by the way, I, I agree with, I don't know if you saw what, Tony Dungy tweeted, and we get wrapped up in this in in our maybe small-minded minds at times. It wasn't one play, folks. They still had to pull off a miracle from the 25-yard line. Like, it it puts it in a bow, what the Cowboys did. But Dungy says, concerning the Cowboys, let's forget the last play. How about giving up 169 yards rushing, giving up five sacks, completing less than 60% of their passes, running for only 77 yards and 14 penalties. Mm. Yeah, that kind of tells a story. So uh, the Dallas Cowboys were lucky to even have a chance, not once but twice in the end of that game because they played so bad and it's a trend it's a pressure cooker now in dallas because they cannot win football games the best stat depending on where you want to go with this if you include 96 it's seven law uh, seven playoff wins for the jags since including that 96 season so almost since the inception of the team right and uh since that same period the dallas cowboys have four yeah i mean that's that's amazing it's absolutely amazing, especially that was right after the dynasty, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So uh, pretty wild to, to think of what the Cowboys have done. And uh, I think it speaks volumes about you can load up a team, but it doesn't mean it's all. In this league, it doesn't automatically mean you're going to win. And, and I thought yesterday was on display for them was just kind of what I said about this football team here. The lack of IQ, the lack of awareness, the lack of situations. I mean, that's a smarts in a player that sometimes, you know, the 40 time doesn't judge. Yeah. You know, the Wonderlick doesn't judge. I don't know how you find the, find those guys, but the Patriots have over the years. I feel like the Titans right now have right now. Like, you, you take the Dallas Cowboys roster 10 out of 10 over the Dallas Cowboys, I mean, over the Tennessee Titans. Mm-hmm. But guess who wins more football games and performs better? You know, I think there's something to be said about that. Uh, especially this time of year when the talent even is more equal uh, than ever. And uh, listen, 49ers tried to hand that game away as well. What do you think of uh, future Jacksonville Jaguars coach Byron Leftwich uh, <laughs> and the Tampa Bay Bucks? Oh, Byron didn't have to do too much in that one, did they? That was a mismatch. It was a mismatch for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's good to see that Tom Brady's still doing the dang thing. I wish that you would stop, you know, live tweeting saying that the, the Buccaneers can't get it done. I didn't see you guys. This is what this is what my problem is with people. Oh, and this includes you now here because you hear what you want to hear and you see what you want to see. I said in that tweet, 
they'll survive this one, but getting all these injuries is, I mean, not, is going to doom them. They're getting too many injuries. Well, let's go to the exact tweet, though. Go huh? ahead. Do all it. right. We'll bring it up in a second. You got to find it. There's a couple of them here. My bad. Um, hey, Eagles plus eight and a half. What happened? Oh, me? Oh, dude, that was not even close. No, I mean, and truth be told, I we thought that was a lot. I hated it. But uh, we I thought them. that was a lot for me. Well, the, the way the the way they like to run the football, you thought they would shrink the game. Yeah. And by the way, they still came back and like almost did. <laughs> they still had a chance almost to cover. NFL's so wacky. Bucks like are that. getting too beat up. They might survive today, but doubt they can make the run they made last year. What is wrong with that tweet? But they're not that beat up anymore. Everyone's coming back. Oh, everyone's coming back. Worse. Godwin. Antonio Brown's okay, gone. They're gone. But they got Jensen. Jensen. Okay. Wait, so did you tweet this before? When did you, you tweet this? Oh, I wait. tweeted it when Jensen and Worfs went out. Okay, Worfs I got is you. like well, a huge part of that team. Are you sure he, hasn't, it? he hasn't missed this. That was the first snap he ever missed in his career. And he's been unbelievable. Like maybe the best player over the last two years in football. But the one like, if you make a run. measured them. But they can make a run if they wait. So then you said, but doubt they can make a the run they made last year. I don't. Th- they okay. are. They are not as healthy. You have to get lucky. Yeah, but they have all their defense back now, which I, I know is the case. Okay. I don't know. After the offensive line went out, he got sacked like four or five different times. You know, it's funny. On like three consecutive third downs, he got sacked. Yeah. Right. And then he did. Unless they weren't trying to do too much either. So. Uh, the Eagles are not that good. I mean, that's not. You're talking about the competition of the NFC. They have to play the Arizona Cardinals or the L.A. Rams next. Sure. Then they have to get by Green Bay. I mean, this wasn't like Tom Brady stinks and the Bucks stink. I just think you have to get, you have to be healthy. Like, look at last year. They were completely healthy when they made the run to the Super Bowl. And they were playing excellent football. The one thing I will give you is I think the, the defense played its best game. Like, defense hadn't been tracking that way. Because they've been right? hurt. Yeah, okay, I know, yeah. but they've played their best game. Against an back. offense, that can't do anything. But, yeah. I mean, against a rookie quarterback, essentially. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see. But, yeah. I mean, that's the one fa- If you're a Bucks fan and you're like, Brent, you're an idiot, yeah, you got Brady, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have a defense that looked more the part um, than, than they've looked because they are healthier. But, again, you're t- uh, without Did Jensen get hurt in the second half or not? He got hurt in the first half. Or it was first half, yeah. It was first half? Yeah. They started dropping guys. There was the two of those guys, but worse was the big one for me. And, okay. and on top of that, you add in, obviously, Godwin and Antonio Brown. What time did so. the game start? One o'clock. Yeah. Okay. Can you tweet it at 113? <laughs> <laughs> 13 minutes after Worfs got hurt. To be oh, honest with you, I don't okay. care about Jensen. Okay, Jensen's important. He's a pro bowler. Well, that's fine. Okay. After Jensen got hurt, they talked about how much Tom Brady loves him. Then, then I had to couch the tweet later in the day for people like Austin. Ah, people like me. Yeah, people These like people. Austin. Yeah, you people. You people. That uh, it, with 10 minutes to go, I said, Dallas Cowboys are choking. Yeah. But I put in parentheses, this is a live tweet at 10 minutes to go in the third quarter. For all you old take exposed geniuses. I didn't see that one. Hey, how about uh, those people that called 49ers Moneyline, huh? Good call, Casey. I see you Good out there, call. man. Yeah. But they, let me tell you. Who, they tried I, to I, piss I wanted that to do away. it, but I tried to. I'm supposed to pick against you to try to win this bet thing because I said I don't trust Mike McCarthy, and here we are. Yeah, you're done now. It's, I am done it's now. It's me and Brent now. I, have, yeah. I honestly like the Cowboys in that game, and, and they just got boat raced at the beginning. They got totally outcoached in the beginning and the end, mm-hmm. and they were super undisciplined. And listen, San Francisco tried to give it away. Shanahan tried to choke it away. Yeah. Jimmy G, I mean, I don't know what the heck those two throws were that he had. Yeah. Those two throws were, wow. I mean, that is seriously why 
like Shanahan and San Francisco smart to go get Trey Lance mm -hmm. because even though they've gone to a Super Bowl and his record is good, yeah, they see that too much. Like that guy can't carry you the way. I think Dak has the ability to make those kind of throws, right? We see what Patrick Mahomes and other quarterbacks can do. I mean, that throw on the interception was like, holy cow. I mean, that was a holy cow throw. And uh, and they actually got a little fortunate, didn't they? Because I, I saw the incomplete pass right away, but it was almost another turnover right after with the oh, George Kittle, Kittle one. Yeah. Yeah. I will say this about San Francisco. Why are people shutting down Kittle? Or are they just choosing not to throw to him? Because he's like absent the last month now really the if you go back i think it is about a month i think it's four straight games and they've got a bunch of different guys involved they, they have a really a variety of players on offense that are involved so that might be some of it but do you think teams are taking away kittle or are they just almost using him as a decoy and and that's opening up travis benjamin of all people yeah. to make a player too no i mean i think george kittle's a game record and you got to take him away i think if they get george kittle going on the inside of the field that opens things up outside of the field so i just think that teams are really keying in on george kittle trying to shut that dude down because he's such a mismatch you know you almost got to double that guy yeah but don't you think they try to do the same to kelsey or are they not as able to do that because of like tyree kill or yeah i mean i i think when you have tyree kill and heck you even got like Miko hardman and pringle now with speed on the outside it, it's harder to do that as opposed to not taking away from the steps of 49ers offense but like debo samuel is more you know he's I would say he's probably more of a possession guy. I mean, he can get open. He can put the burners on. But he's more of a possession guy, and obviously he's a gadget guy. And Brandon Ayuk is still a guy that is kind of coming into his own. So I just think in terms of stopping the Chiefs, it's a lot harder with the speed that they have. Yeah, I just know. I mean, again, Kittle, this is not a new thing. This is going back a month after he tore it up when he came back. Mm -hmm. But Kelsey continues to be a guy that everybody would focus on, but he gets 150 yards a game anyway. Does it hurt San Francisco when they line up Debo in the backfield so that's one less person you have to worry about, like, on the outside, and then you can cover Kittle more? Uh, I mean, I think if Debo's in the backfield, you know it's going to go to him or in some sort of capacity. So that, that does take Kittle away, but at the same time, teams can't stop Debo in the backfield right now. So while it may take away from Kittle, uh, as far as the offense in totality, it looks pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we learned a whole lot yesterday about Tampa or – Kansas City, like going forward. I mean, those were like, that's those felt like one versus sixteen games in the in the NCAA tournament. I think we learned that Tom Brady saw some chicks up his sleeve. Yeah, we learned Tyler Johnson cannot catch four passes in a game. Oh, I thought Brady was going to cut him on the spot. Oh my God, me too. I thought he was going to cut him on the spot, man. Imagine how you felt if you uh, if you bet Tyler Johnson plus or uh, over three and a half. Stick receptions. to your stomach, I'm sure. Horrible. Stick to your stomach. But to be fair, he had he had a makeup catch, which was a nice one. Yeah, but if he catches the two drops, I, I have know. four and everybody's no, happy. Oh, no, I mean, it sucks for you for sure. But yeah, I thought he was done on but, the second uh, one. But, but I'm saying for his well-being and future with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, at least he was able to redeem himself a little bit. But Brady, I mean, and Brady's earned that. Like, I feel like if you drop too many of those catches like he dropped, then you're out of here. Like, Trevor Lawrence can go to Visca and Chanel and say, okay, you're going to get benched right now. Because Trevor Lawrence hasn't earned his stripes yet. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about Tom Brady, though, and the way he looked at Tyler Johnson? Yeah, I was surprised Tyler Johnson was still on the field, honestly. <laughs> I knew I lost some money at that moment. Yeah. The, what was the most surprising game of the weekend? Oh, the Bills, I think. Yeah. Really? Bills-Patriots. Absolutely. Did they kid, the because way the, the they Patriots embarrassed themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that's fair. Yeah. Uh, I, I did think the Philly game would play out a little bit differently. I thought the Eagles would have a little more juice on the ground than they did. Uh, but I also don't think Philly beat anybody all year. So, 
I mean, it, it's just kind of who they are. It was good to get there. They were better than the average teams, you know, or the not-so-good sure. teams. A lot like Miami, you know, and, and Pittsburgh. Again, I thought Pittsburgh was the worst team by far in the playoffs, and, and it showed up. Yep. Uh, they, they gave it their go for the first 20 minutes, and then after that, they just got, you know, uh, lambasted. But... Um, <clears throat> Did you catch yeah. this, by the way, on the Pittsburgh game? You know how they do the introductions? And, like, they have, like, every player, and they say their name in college. J- or uh, T.J. Watts, PFF, like, before the season grade? Four. I know. What in the world are we doing? I know, man, but that's... Who was 3-2-1? and one? It's, it's numbers, man. That's ridiculous. That's, no, because, I mean, there's a couple players I saw like that that kind of have that same thing. It's just, it is what it is. Like, Debo Sam, I think, was, like, number 12 or something. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Debo's a top 10 receiver, but... Yeah, I, I saw lo- I saw the four, and then he scored a touchdown on that yeah. possession. I love how uh, I love how Collinsworth has worked that in since oh, he owns yeah. it. You know, yeah, like, yeah. it's uh, <laughs> no conflict of interest there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I, the Bills game was, you know, it's interesting again to me. It's surprising, but I'm not sure we should. It was surprising as as dominant as it was to Casey's point. Absolutely. The Bills, though, are way better, in my opinion, than the Patriots. I thought the Patriots overachieved a lot. They played really good football and peaked for a seven-week stretch. And they were playing with a rookie quarterback in the freezing cold. Like, the elements do matter at that point. And so, uh, I think that's the Bills team, though, that a lot of people thought we'd see most of the year. The reason why that was a little more surprising is we really haven't seen that Bills team a lot this year. So I say look out. Again, who gets hot at the right time? Sure. The Bills hadn't peaked at all. They had some games, but they didn't peak in a stretch. Now you wonder if this could be a stretch, but although that's going to be a hell of a game next week. Absolutely. Uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs. But uh, I mean, I was just surprised that like a, a Bill Belichick coach team looked yeah. like that. Like usually, you know, the MO of the Patriots is that you shut down the biggest target. Stefan Diggs. Like, he only had three receptions, but like there was like secondary breakdowns. He had like that one fifty yard reception or whatever like that. And then the way that Devin Singletary is right now, I'm telling you, man, like ever since they started giving the rock more at Devin Singletary and just don't rely on Josh Allen running the football all the time, this offense has changed. It's been a long time coming. And it's funny how we talk about, you know, Dabble as a guy who kind of was lost in terms of the of the head coaching shuffle. Well now I mean with that performance, almost putting up fifty points against you know, a, a very respectable defense and a respectable defensive head coach. I feel like Dabble's going to be like the hottest name now in the NFL again, as he should be. Yeah, uh, and and the, he is again, I think. Yeah, he, he kind of had gotten lost, right? Mm-hmm. I think we have to be really careful of this, by the way. Is Okay, Kellen Moore, bad play at the end of the game. Can't be a coach in the NFL. <laughs> like, it's one game now that determines. That was the thing about Eberflus, right, where the Jags beat him. Like, I don't want him. Yeah. It's like people settle down i mean like you don't you don't go to free agency you don't go to the draft this goes back to like the hutchinson thing first of all he played better than you think he played in that national semifinal, and you don't just go off one game you got a career to go off so that's not how this works i know we get excited about this stuff but you don't eliminate coaches based on one team much like i wouldn't put byron leftwich on any more of a pedestal after yesterday's game than i had him on on friday I mean, yeah. it was a good win, but it didn't matter. Like, it wouldn't <clears throat> factor into whether I want to hire the guy or think I should hire the guy. Same goes for Kellen Moore, even though it wasn't a good look. I don't have him super high on my list to begin with, but... Uh, Is he still your value play? And probably not anymore. Not but now. You've got to, but you've got to be... You can't get wrapped up in that, is my point, you yeah. know? Um, what did we... What is going to happen now in the coaching? Like, what did we learn from Leftwich? Anything? Uh, anything? There's nothing new. 
because when the teams play on Saturday, Sunday, there's really not a lot of news that happens. Yeah. And so now the, you know, more interviews, the vetting, kind of what you figure takes place in the process here. The Jacksonville Jaguars is they interviewed the eight. They, they wrapped that up on Saturday with Eberflus. And unless there's a sneaky interview somewhere in here, uh, maybe a Flores or somebody like that. Well, or maybe a McDaniels now that he's free. Like, mm-hmm. could that happen? Like, do you think the Jags could go back to the well for more interviews, even though uh, reportedly they've done as many as nine, if you include Daryl Bevel, um, with, with that courtesy interview? Uh, or are they just kind of narrowing it down now to three over these next couple of days and, and vetting these guys? Um, I mean, I think depending how how big of a net you're casting, I think they're still definitely open to some more interviews. You know, I mean, it, it's rough with these guys, a lot of these coordinators right now, having to go through the, the playoffs and everything. Because usually, if you're trying to do coordinators that are still in the NFL, odds are they probably have a pretty good uh, career success right now in terms of playing in the playoffs. So, um, I mean, do the Jaguars have a pretty good idea of who they want? I would say so. But I still think they're open to other guys, too, uh, depending. Who would you be interested in of the names you haven't heard yet? McDaniels, Dable, well, would you be Flores? They interviewed Dable last year, right? Uh, yeah, we think so. We think so. Yeah, so I mean, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know if, if that much changes in, in one year in terms of how the interview went. Like, I'm still sure Shad Khan's got a good idea of, of what Dable brought to the table. Um, I mean, obviously, McDaniels is still, I think, an option to at least interview because I don't think he did that last year. And you could just pick his brain a little bit, see what he brings to the table. But uh, those are probably the, the, the big two that, you know, you haven't seen this year. But once again, if Dable's interviewed last year, then so be it. Yeah, I kind of feel like uh, there's not a lot of repetitive interviews, right, for, for a shot. Yeah. From McDaniels years ago to Dable to um, enemy, mm-hmm. right? And I don't think they'll keep Muddy in this process up. But let's just say Leftwich is the front runner. As yeah. Vegas has him. I think Vegas still probably has him there. And, yeah. and, and if he's the front runner, well, now you know that, okay, well, you're really not going to get him until next Monday at the earliest, mm-hmm. right? And, and that could even be days after that. So if that's the case, why not keep interviewing people? Why not keep vetting it out? Why not just in case? Do you think it helps or hurts the Jags? If, say, Leftwich is their top guy, and you have guys like Peterson and Caldwell out there that are available, but do you think it hurts them if Leftwich is their top guy? Because if they have to wait, 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 they do run the risk of him saying no, and then you're not getting your next best choice, right? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely playing the waiting game a little bit, but at the same time, I mean, this is all about, like, a domino effect, right? As soon as one person signs, you get a good idea, and then the other guys start signing. So, like, we haven't seen a domino come into place yet. You know, I mean, we, we've heard rumors of, you know, guys interviewing, but we haven't really seen anybody sign yet. So I think until somebody actually signs, which, who knows, it could be next week, could be after the play. I don't know when it's going to be. But once that happens, then, yeah, then all of a sudden you got to start making haste a little bit and say, okay, we have to get under wraps here because now guys are starting to sign everywhere. Until that first domino falls, I think everyone's just kind of relaxed right now and as you can be in this process. Well, listen, I think uh, we've talked about Byron Leftwich a bit. I think Vegas has him as the odds-on favorite to land the job. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, did he do anything that impressed you yesterday as we are, he's live auditioning? And I think Jags fans are really paying attention now. Also... Uh, did a lot of homework on, on Leftwich this weekend, and I know a lot of people are familiar with him, but there's some interesting things I, I thought of that maybe we hadn't talked about yet. Uh, maybe others are, but I haven't. And so uh, dive into Leftwich a little bit. Who is the odds-on favorite? And we appreciate that out of Vegas more than Bill O'Brien. Thank you. Mm. <laughs>
<laughs> Do you so, well, something to talk about too? Coming back after the break. So it's Byron Lethwich, Bill O'Brien. Do you know who the third guy is? I can't remember who it was. It might have been Peterson at the last. I, honestly, okay. I haven't seen the odds today. Yeah, and it does change like on a daily basis. I think you, Peterson. Do you think Byron Leftwich would want to keep Bulky or would he want to get rid of Bulky? Gonzo. Okay. Yeah, Gonzo. Guaranteed? Uh, and I'll tell you why guaranteed. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll be back. Action Sports Chats on ESPN 690. I don't say we're undisciplined. Uh, I think the, the fact that, you know, the, the physicality, you know, when, when it's when it's weighed, uh, you know, when you're trying to get your team to play to a certain play style, you know, there's definitely some growing pains that we've gone through. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and go through the officiating. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I think, it, you know, over the, over the long haul, you, you hope it balances out. Um, you know, I, I, thought, I thought they would let these teams play today. Um, but, you know, that's, that's for them to answer, and, and I'm sure they'll, be, they'll, be, uh, they'll have their comments on how they felt the game was officiated. Sounds like Mike McCarthy to me. How was, I mean, the officiating, here's my thought on the officiating. I always have this. Listen, it stinks sometimes. I get it. I don't mind the human element in sports. I'm not going to change my mind on that. I'm going to stick in the sand on that in most sports, all sports, in fact. I do think these guys are under the microscope more than ever before because of TV. I, I have to remind Ty this all the time. He sits there and yells at the TV about the officials, like, how do you miss this? And I do too sometimes, right? Yeah. Especially if you're, like, emotionally involved in the game or have something on it. Uh, but the, 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 the fact is, like, I remember Ty, like, yelling at the officials one time, and I'm like, Ty, how are you supposed to see that in live action? Like, you just saw that in three replays. Like, you, <laughs> you've got to ask yourself as a fan, can you see X play in live action? Now, there are a couple of situations, and obviously the whistle situation, that was dead wrong. Mm -hmm. And it was unfortunate. Do you think it's a touchdown without the whistle anyway? Or do you think the whistle caused the defense to slow? I mean, you got to play through the whistle. So I'm going to err on the side of it would have been a touchdown regardless. Casey? Why did they blow the whistle again? It was just inadvertent. I think because he was going out of bounds, right? And so the, it wasn't think, even that close. But I, I know, but I, I think he just got wrapped, like the idea that, okay, it's about going out of bounds. And I'm actually surprised there are more, not more inadvertent whistles, yeah. to be honest with you, in sports in general. I think it was but, a touchdown anyway. I do yeah. too, okay? So from a logic standpoint, we can complain about the mechanics of it all. But in our eyes, it would be like it's a touchdown. It used to be like the old catch thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's like it's a catch or not a catch. Well, it was probably a touchdown. I mean, if the whistle never goes off inadvertently, it's a touchdown. But by the letter of the law, and then they tried, what they did a poor job of is explaining it. He doubled down essentially, right? Yeah. In the post game. Yep. And that's where he got himself in trouble. And there's no hiding, you know? Uh, so I, I guess what I'm getting at is how much do the officials bother you? In these games, how bad are they? Or are we to the point now where we are, like, desensitized to finding, as players, coaches, fans, just blaming the officials for everything? I get bothered more when they feel they need to interject um, more than they probably should. Prime example would be first quarter, Tampa Bay, first drive of the game. Tom Brady gets hit. It's a clean hit. They oh, throw yeah. a flag, and it kind of changed the on momentum the hip, around right? a little bit. Yeah. yeah, that was a terrible, terrible changed call. Changed the momentum a little bit. 
Like, that's a horrible call. That's you as an official interjecting yourself and make yourself part of the game when you probably shouldn't. So I have issues with, with plays like that. But overall, um, as long as, like, for that, you couldn't have an instant replay. I mean, it is what it is. But usually if it's like a, I don't know, if it's a guy's out of bounds, you can go back, check the replay, things like that. I don't mind those calls because they can always make those calls right. But I do mind the calls that get interjected when it's like, oh, Tom Brady got hurt, let's go, or he got hit. Let's go and throw the flag on that one, even though it should have been called. Yeah, I. That that was a good. By the way, that's just a missed call. Like that's a missed call, and by the that did lead. That would have been third and long, I think. And then no, it, it would have been fourth down. Was that fourth down? Okay, that, yeah, would have been punting. Down. Yeah. Um, and so that was a huge play. Yeah, yeah. at the moment, uh, early on, but it set the tone. So it's a big play, mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah, I just think we get a little carried away. And I, I also try to be cautious of this even at, at the youth level, like with my kids. And we're guilty of it, like, too. But it's like it's okay now in our world to just blame everything on the officiating. Sure. Which is passing the buck in a lot of ways. Because, again, if you thought there was a bad call in the Cowboys game here, they're fine. But the Cowboys sucked. Yeah, they beat themselves. Like, they were terrible. And so if we're going to be Dak Prescott and say good for them for throwing stuff at the fans, well then you stand out there too as a team and let us throw stuff at you because you made some of the most boneheaded plays I've seen. Mm. Not just you, Dak. I'm saying the football team. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll tell you, the last one about on the officials where I'll defend them on the, on the last play, which was clunky, you know, and probably maybe should have had a chance to get off is I think if you're dumb enough to trust the official to put the ball in place in time in that situation, then that's on you. There are some times where you can't control the officials having a say in the outcome, but the officials most of the time want to get out of the way at the end of a game and let teams determine it. They don't want to be involved. Well, what the Dallas Cowboys did in that situation is said, hey, we need the official to be on our team here and to execute this play like we've practiced it. And so they, they put the official right in the middle of the action of executing the play, which I thought was dangerous and dumb, and, and it worked out to be. Well, I, absolutely. But also your trust official is not going to hit Dak Prescott, be an <laughs> athlete, and then you can clock the ball with two seconds left or one second left. Yeah. Like, at the end of the day, if that play ends up working, you have the ball on, what, the 21, 22? Uh, about more because of the slide probably around the 24, 25, right? Okay. Or it should have been because he started the slide around the 25, but... Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, whatever the case may be. And you have the ball in the 25, let's just say, with one chance left. That's not the worst thing in the world. Passes, pass interferences can happen, roughing the quarterback. Yeah, yeah. Like, so it's not the worst thing in the world. Do I like the play call? Absolutely not, because it, it's way too risky. But I get what was trying to you know happen there. Now, the official probably could have got there a little quicker. Don't hit Dak Prescott, be an athlete. And now we're talking about a nail-biting last play of the game to come down to the wire. Just it never happened like that because too many things went wrong. How much uh, do you think? Uh, do you know from your days uh, and maybe defending a play like that? Fourteen has always been a magic number. I know that. Yeah. Uh, but and, and spike in the ball. So it certainly is the case. Now, the further you go downfield, the more that becomes an issue. So a lot of people, I think it was Romo who said right away he slid too late, like he should have stopped a little earlier just to be sure, but in their mind, and I agree with them, if everything is executed to perfection, to perfection, you're relying on everybody, then they probably get the snap off and spike it with one second to go or two seconds to go and can make the desperation play. 
Um, but from your situation as a defender, obviously you're going to try to knock that ball all over the place. You're going to try to stay on them longer than oh, that. Oh, yeah, of course. Like, take your time. Do you – like you didn't like the play, right? Like if you're, if you're on the Cowboys, knowing what can go wrong there – like the play call is just not the right play call, or or was it just the pure execution of the play call? I mean, I don't, I don't know. See, it's hard to say because you got the ball at the forty yard line with what twelve seconds left. So that play essentially got you down to we'll call it the twenty four, with hopefully three or I mean, at the end it doesn't of the, matter. Yeah. Just one second doesn't yeah. matter, right? Yeah, exactly. You probably had realistically three plays left to try to score a touchdown, or would you say more? Uh, no, I would say two. What maybe. down was it again? Uh, that's a good question. I think it was, it was, I think it was first second and second. one. It was second and one. Second and one, yeah. Okay. So I think I think two plays because they have to get down the field, right? If you're going to go two shots to the end zone, yeah. And they were defending the out of bounds stuff. Sure. Then so you had, probably two plays. You had 14 seconds from your 40 yard line to try to score a touchdown. They run to the 24. You have one. Essentially, in a perfect world, you would have had one shot from the 24, whatever it was, to score a touchdown. I'm not mad at that. I think there's other ways you can go about that. But keep in mind, San Fran was taken away. Like, if you go back and watch the coverage, the sidelines are taken away. Absolutely. Like, they, they had, it was like a cover two, but, like, all their guys were on the sidelines. So they were willing to give up the middle of the field all day just because, in their eyes, with 14 seconds, if someone catches the, the ball inbounds, the game's over. Yeah. So I'm not necessarily mad about the play call. I get what they were trying to do. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have called it. I think it was way too ballsy in that situation, but, hey, I'm a defensive kind of guy. But, once again, if that ref does his job maybe just a little better and they have a second left, well, then you get one shot to make a touchdown. Yeah. Like, I'm not mad at that. Listen, the idea of the call was not dead wrong. It just needed to be executed to absolute perfection. There sure. was no wiggle room. And, like I said, you bring the ref into it as well. Should I think it was uh, Romo or somebody, should he have handed the ball, like in your – Yeah, handed the ball to an official? Should Dak have, you mean? Yeah, because they play, they practice, yeah. and I think he said in postgame, they practice it like the center will do it yeah. and spot the ball. But yeah, just think I mean, about that. Like Now, sometimes the official will just go put his hand on top of the ball if it's already down there. So, like, I get the idea, but it's interesting that there are conflicting views of Dak what Dak should have done with the ball and how the Cowboys practice it. Yeah. Uh, I'm just saying... If you have 14 seconds left and you're on your own 40-yard line and you can't afford to catch a ball in bounds, show me two or three plays that can get you a touchdown from that situation. Yeah. It's hard, man. Yeah. It's hard. Well, that's the thing. And, and that's that's why so, I think this play alone is probably overblown. Welcome to sports radio and TV today. Sure. Because there are so many other plays in the game. And the fact that the Cowboys even had a chance yeah. in that situation I thought was stunning. Yeah. Like they even had a chance. Uh, all right, let's flip it over to the Jags. I asked you about Byron Leftwich. Did he do anything to you yesterday that said, Ooh, I like that? I mean, he just he kept the Eagles' defense guessing, you know, and, and say what you want about the Eagles, but, I mean, they're still a playoff team, you know, so you had to respect him, and um, I just thought it was a nice mixture of, of short passing game in terms of, you know, incorporating tight ends, incorporating Mike Evans. I mean, it seemed like everybody was eating uh, against the Eagles. So I just like the fact that he mixed it up a little bit, especially with Leonard Fournette being out as well. I mean, Leonard Fournette's a big part of that offense, um, so they didn't have him at twos at their disposal. I just, so I just thought it was a good mixture of, of play calling. Yeah, I, and again, it's really hard to tell. And this isn't, I'm not taking away from Leftwich, but Brady is so good. Sure. And, and in the playoffs, he's so good. 
But the fact that they were able to still operate as an offense, which I do give a lot of credit to Brady, but I think Arians and and the coaching staff deserve some praise here for having people ready to go. Uh, maybe not your guy who had four catches for, but uh, from yeah. Scotty Miller to um, backup running backs and backup run. I mean, they had everybody, yep. you know, ready to roll. And overall, outside of a couple of drops, didn't miss that much of a beat. And and even with Worfs coming out, right and and Jensen coming out. So they're able to plug and play and really not miss a beat. Now, they got Tom leading the way, so that's a lot easier. But I think that's where Leftwich and maybe Arians and the coaching staff impressed me that what they had done, the devil's in the details, right? Mm -hmm. What they had done leading up all year to have these guys ready to go or at least in the last couple of weeks to play in this game. I mean, their offense really just... It might have been a lot of what Philly was doing, but their yeah. offense didn't seem to miss a beat. No, without a doubt. You know, and that's huge. When you, when you lose a guy like Chris Godwin, you lose a guy like um, Antonio Brown in the circumstances they lost him in, um, it takes a toll on anybody's offense. You know, I think that it, realistically, if you lose, and I, I don't know, it's so hard to say who the, who the one, two, and three guys are because they're all, you know, I mean, they're all great receivers. When you lose two of your great receivers and you don't skip a beat, yeah, I mean, Tom Brady's the, the best quarterback to ever do it, don't get me wrong, but you still have to game plan. You still have to get the, that guy ready to play, and I think Leftwich or Arians or a combination of those guys did that with Tom Brady. All right, I was, uh, did a lot of work on, on Byron Leftwich over the weekend, especially on Friday. I had some time, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to go back and look at some of this stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and Leftwich, uh, you know, on Friday, I think became the odds-on favorite in Vegas. There's uh, starting to be a lot of talk about him. Um, always liked Leftwich in this process. I, I admittedly and, and still do like Peterson and Caldwell. And I like them better and significantly better than getting a first-time coach mm -hmm. in this situation the Jags are currently in. And I'm starting to think about that a little bit more. And Leftwich is the guy that's making me think. Not Kellen Moore, not Nathaniel Hackett, uh, not Everflus, mm -hmm. not any of these guys. Instead, it's specifically Leftwich. And I said a little bit of this on Friday. I really believe he could do wonders for this culture in Jacksonville. He's been around Mike Tomlin. He's been in Pittsburgh. He's seen some bad locker rooms, by the way, in Pittsburgh, right? I mean, there is some stuff going on that they still got through. And in hindsight, you, still, you, you have more respect for Tomlin and Pittsburgh and what they were able to do to keep that thing going yeah. when they had some interesting cats now in that building. You go to Arizona, and you know I've, I've talked about Arizona on Friday. I just think from Calais to Peterson to Fitzgerald to Carson Palmer to these guys in that, to, to Bruce Arians, he was there, right? And Leftwich was a part of that. And I think he saw good culture, and now what they're doing in Tampa and being around Arians, who many people praise. I really think, number one on my list with Leftwich, I really think he will do a good job with the culture. I think he knows what a good culture is, and I think that's going to be important to him and value to him. And I don't think he can sleep on that. And, you know, we keep talking about Peterson, and I was like, Brent, you know, we talk about Peterson all the time with his Super Bowl, and that's a feather in his cap, and it's nice that the guy's doing and he's available. Well, guess what? Byron Leftwich won a Super Bowl as a player and as an assistant coach. Yeah. You know, I know he hasn't led the thing yet. I get it. There's a difference. But he actually could become, if he gets a head coaching job and wins a Super Bowl, he could become the third coach in history to do that. Yeah. Flores did it, and um, Dungy, I think, is the other guy that did it. Yeah. As a player, assistant coach, head coach, win a Super Bowl. So, I mean, this guy knows culture, man. He knows winning. And I listened to a long interview with him, and this is really what got me onto it, and I'm listening to him and kind of wrap my arms around, what, like, Urban Meyer in the last few years and what the Jags building has been like. And here's another thing. 
I thought for the last month or so, I, I questioned every time someone brought up Leftwich. I don't think, because I wasn't here, but I've heard stories that he didn't have a great experience here in Jacksonville for a variety of reasons. I don't really think he's going to hold that. I don't think that's going to bother him. Mm. Like, I don't think he's, like, going to turn down the job because of that experience. In fact, if you go back and listen to some of the things over the years that Leftwich has said, he actually thinks that's one of the best things that happened to him. Uh, especially being cut like right before the season started because he ended up in Pittsburgh around all these great players. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I have more on my list, by the way, but those are the quick reasons why that's before you even get to tutoring, tutoring uh, Trevor Lawrence yeah. in his offense. Mm-hmm. I like this guy. So to me, and I've kind of said this a little bit on Friday, but something that I haven't really said yet, that I think why Byron Leftwich makes sense because if you go back to the past couple coaching hires here in Jacksonville, like, let's go ahead and start with, like, let's start back with Del Rio. I think Del Rio was a player's coach, number one, because, well, he was a former player, so he kind of got the game. But he kind of towed the line of being a player's coach and kind of being kind of like that old school guy. Yeah. You know, it was a little bit of both. But, I mean, you know, he had some success here in Jacksonville. You bring in Mike Malarkey, that was more of the old school guy. Wasn't really a player's coach, even though he was a former player. But kind of, you know... Ran, ran more of uh, a harder training camp and all this stuff. I didn't mind it, obviously, but some players did. Gus Bradley, ultimate players coach, mm-hmm. right, hands down. I mean, he loved his players. And it's the point where even when he was probably going to get fired, the players defended him and said, you know, it's not his fault, it's our fault, and they wanted Gus Bradley to stay. A lot of players spoke out about that. A lot of talented players on that team spoke out about that. Doug Marone, I got the vibe it was more of just not even a players coach, more of just a – I don't want to – I don't want to put him in the malarkey category, but more of just an old school, I don't want to say, just more of just kind of quiet. It's interesting you say it like that because I remember having the conversation. What's the identity of Doug Marone? And Mm -hmm. it's hard to answer, isn't it? Yeah. Because Coughlin was around and Coughlin was gone and then, you know. So so, uh, I don't get the vibe that he was really a player's coach per se. I think Shad Khan, I mean, listen, there's a lot of reasons why you liked Urban Meyer. I think Shad Khan envisioned Urban Meyer to be a player's coach, but he was the exact opposite of said players coach he was the exact opposite because number one he ran things his way it was a dictatorship number two in terms of having his players back you really didn't see a lot of that so then now we fast forward to the byron leftwich rumors and like what about byron leftwich like what type of coach he is Uh, is he well keep in mind this is gonna be a first year guy if he does get the job but byron leftwich to me is the ultimate players coach because he's a former player number one but you see the story with the performance bonuses yeah that's all you need to know about Byron Leftwich. When an offensive coordinator goes to his players and says, hey, what does your contract say? How, much, like, how many more receptions? How much more yardage do you need to achieve your bonus? And he went through that, and every single guy in that locker room on the offensive side of the ball, and he tried to get those guys those bonuses. That's a player's coach. Now, keep in mind, at the time, they have already in the playoffs, so it doesn't really matter like, yeah, yeah. if they win or lose. So now, if you're already in the playoffs, you already got your, your spot locked up, well, then what's next? Money. Yeah. It's, it's getting your players paid. And, like, that gesture right there, that move, shows me that, I mean, there's a lot of things, too, but that shows me that he's a player's coach. And I think Shad Khan going forward, that's what he wants. He wants to get back a player's coach to try to get this locker room right. Like I said, I think he thought he had that with Urban Meyer, and it couldn't be any more farther from the truth. But I think going forward, you don't want an old-school guy. You don't want a guy that's going to rule with an iron fist and, and have these hard training camps. Now, you get about a challenging, tough training camp, 
but you got to listen to your players as well. I feel like Byron Leftwich is that type of guy. I want to stay on the context of Urban Meyer because I wonder with that so recent if Shad will go in a different way because of Urban, and I've got a couple more examples. Let's take a timeout. We talk more about Byron Leftwich and why we think this, I mean, Austin likes him already, but I, on my list, he was like third, if you asked me two weeks ago, and he might be bumping up the ladder or at least inching closer to the other guys with experience. I still am a little nervous about a guy who hasn't done it, but Leftwich tops my list of first-time coaches for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'll continue that conversation of why, because the evidence goes deeper, and hopefully Shot is digging into all this evidence. <laughs> at least we can hope. Uh, we'll be back. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. No, I didn't see that. That's sad. I mean, you're talking about a team, you're talking about men that come out each and every day of their lives and uh, give everything to the sports, give everything to this game of football. Um, nobody wants to succeed more than we want to succeed. I understand fans and, and, and the word fan for fanatic. I get that. But um, to know everything that we put into this day in and day out, try our hardest. Um, nobody comes in in the game wanting or expecting expecting to lose. And um, for, for people to react that way when you're supposed to be a supporter and, and be with us through thick and thin, th that's tough. I think they were aiming at the referees. Yeah. 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 They went credit to them then. Yeah. Oh, credit. Credit to them. <laughs> that was a really bad answer by Dak Prescott. Oh, I thought it was funny, man. But you can't sit there and say, hey, I can't believe fans would throw stuff at us, blah, 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 and then it's okay to throw it at the officials. I mean, that's a that's a pretty... I think he was kidding. Did you see it? Did I see what? The press conference? Did you actually see it? The press conference? Yeah. Yeah. He didn't smile. He wasn't kidding. Okay. It wasn't even a smirk after that. Like, he was... All right. He was endorsing. <laughs> if Jerry Jones could do it over again, would he pay him? Dak? Yeah. See, yeah, I, think I don't so. get a choice. I don't think Dak's the problem. Okay, I'm just saying. I don't think Dak's the problem. They're mm. Yeah. You I mean, know, you know what's amazing about the Cowboys is we still have it in our head that their offensive line's good. Their offensive line sucks. Like their offensive line ends up in Dak's lap, like two out of every three plays. And by the way, this should be an indictment on Kellen Moore because they don't run the damn ball at all. Yeah. And on top of that, and I've said this way back now. The problem with the Cowboys is they have paid Zeke, and he's a star, and he's a big name, but he's not the best back they have. Yeah. He's not good. Like, Zeke Elliott is as, he's just a guy. Like, take away Zeke Elliott's number and name, and he looks like the fourth running back for so many teams. Yeah, but is Dak Prescott a top three quarterback in the NFL? Because he's getting paid like it. Uh, he's getting paid like it, but... He's not. I mean, I don't think he is. Well, he's not a top three guy. But sure. By the way, Lamar Jackson's going to get paid a crap load of money, too. It's sure. the going rate. Yeah. I mean, but uh, is, is he worth the price tag? I, to answer Casey's question, I don't think so. Like, I, I wouldn't have paid Dak that much money. But to, in Jerry Jones' shoes, you had to because if you didn't, then you're kind of setting a precedent to your team saying, well, I don't value Dak Prescott that much. So was it right to pay him that much money? Probably not. But I think Jerry Jones had zero like, you know, he had zero outcome, and you had to pay him. Yeah, I, I'll tell you this. The worst signing was Zeke Elliott, and, and Jerry Jones did not want to pay him, and he yeah. was right. He was right about that. Yeah. He shouldn't have paid him, and he, and he got forced into that. And, again, the current situation, uh, players, I'm not sure there are many quarterbacks worth $40 million, but it's like when your guy comes up, 
are you going to get a new quarterback or are you going to keep the guy that you have that's pretty good? Mm-hmm. And I think Dak is a pretty damn good quarterback. And I don't see – I still don't think he's the issue. Like, I actually think – I mean, heck, he made a hell of a play on the one throw down to the five-yard line. Wilson couldn't gather himself. Mm-hmm. It was a hell of a play. Yeah. Like, he made the play in that situation that he had to make. And they just couldn't get the deal done, right? And then at the end, the end is the end. So, uh I tell you what, I, I think the way they set their offensive line up to pass, protect every down is a is a problem in Dallas. Mm. Like, they need to run the ball more. And San Francisco said it going in, and it, they proved them right. They said, hey, defensively, if we don't have to worry about the run, we think we can match up well. Yeah. They didn't even make them think about the run. Mm-hmm. They really didn't. I mean, even in the third quarter, they were down 16-7. All you got to do is score once in the third quarter, and it's, gonna, it's a football game. And they didn't run. I mean, they were passing like they were. It was three minutes to go in the game, down two scores. Yeah. So I think they set Dak up in a bad way. Sometimes now he's got a hell of a lot of weapons. <laughs> Don't For get sure. me wrong; he's got a lot of weapons. But I think their play calling and their offensive line has taken a step back at times, and that's why you see their inconsistent play. When they're good, man, are they good? But uh, they don't have that counterattack when the passing game isn't on fire. Uh, We'll be back. I want to talk more about Byron Leftwich, which was just a short little segment there, so we'll do that uh, when we come back. More NFL playoff talk as well. The Icemen have a big one tonight as they continue to host the All-Star festivities for the ECHL. Uh, big night here in Jacksonville when it comes to hockey and cold enough for it. We'll be back on ESPN 690. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menard. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Say big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save 